0: I want to open up to the book of Acts chapter 4. So there's a story that takes place in the book of Acts sometime around the year 30 to 35 AD after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus ascends to heaven. And the story involves two men, one named John and one named Peter. Peter is one of the apostles. They're both apostles. Peter has just uh, healed uh, a man who was crippled at a gate called Beautiful in Jerusalem. Uh, he's uh, created quite a controversy with his, his preaching and some of the actions that he's, he's doing. And he, he ends up getting thrown in jail, some of the city officials. They're real concerned about what he's, what he's preaching. And he goes and he stands trial in front of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the Supreme Court of that area. And on trial, he debates he pleads his case on trial. And he talks about kind of what he's done uh, with healing this man, and like what he's preaching, what he's proclaiming. He creates such a compelling argument that the officials look at him and say this in Acts chapter 4. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and took note that these men had been with Jesus. All of a sudden, there's some credibility here with what Peter's talking about, because he had spent time with Jesus. He's unschooled, he's ordinary, and yet there is authority to what he is saying, because of something that he has experienced. Experience is something that gives credibility. We know this when we think of even the idea of a witness. What is a witness? Someone who has uh, experienced something firsthand and gives an account of it or proof of what happened. Even today when we have trials, if, uh, if there's no witnesses, we can't convict, right? Witnesses are absolutely essential. Peter has witnessed something, and because of that, He has credibility. What's also interesting is Peter isn't like the Apostle Paul, who is very educated, very well thought out, um, and, and creates a lot of great arguments about who Jesus is. Peter doesn't necessarily have that same education, and yet there's an authority to him, just like Paul has, because of what he has witnessed. He's speaking of an experience, therefore he has credibility. And as we talk through our topic today of forgiveness, I want to look at what Peter experiences and what he says about this topic. Because what he experiences gives him great credibility and authority. So Peter, the man in this story, first time we kind of experience, uh, he comes onto the scene is in Matthew chapter 4. And I believe I have a picture of Peter a painting of Peter. And uh, we have different images of what Peter looked like. I like this one. It was from uh, the Spanish Renaissance painter, El Greco. Um, and this is obviously like kind of later in Peter's life. When I saw this, the first thing I thought is, that is Tyler L's in like 40 years. <laughs> I mean, even the pose. <laughs> I thought, man, that looks just like Tyler. Usually when we have images of Peter, <laughs> They're always kind of like older in life. And we forget that when Jesus meets Peter and many of the disciples, these are young men. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are in their early 20s. Peter is this young, and and what we know is that he's this young fisherman. Peter meets Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. says that Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So he kind of uses a pun there, right? Like, you're a fisherman, I'm going to give you this new calling, we're going to be fishing for people. And and Peter is this, this young man, we know he has a family, he's married, uh, he's a fisherman, which is a great occupation for this time period, and and he's, he's living on kind of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he's, he's from uh, a little town called Bethsaida near Capernaum. Uh, his life consists of, uh, of working hard and making a fair wage. Uh, if you were Peter, uh, you would probably go and work at night. You would fish at night. You would fish all night long until the dawn. And then you would come in, bring your, your boat into the dock, uh, eat breakfast, take your fish to the market, uh, and then go take a nap, probably sleep till about noon. Uh, it, a lot of guys hear that rhythm, and they're like, that, that sounds like a wonderful life. That would be out fishing all night, and making a living off fishing. I could do that. Uh, it, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a great life that Peter has. And when Jesus meets him, whatever happens in this moment... Oh, pay no attention to what's happening, here. Right? Whatever happens in this moment, Peter is so compelled to follow Jesus that he's willing to leave this life. Jesus says, come and follow me. Peter becomes one of his disciples, one of his inner three. And there's story after story. Some of you are familiar with stories where he, he walks on water. He helps uh, participate in feeding the 5,000. There's all these stories of Peter. There's one interesting story when it pertains to forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. Peter asked Jesus about this topic of forgiveness. And why I think this is important and why I want to look at the life of Peter is the question that he asks. To me, it's like, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask? I say that to my kids, and Ezra's response would be like, you know, I want to know how many donuts there are in the world. Like, what are the mysteries that we want to know? Peter has the opportunity, spends time with Jesus, the Son of God, and he asks him a question pertaining to forgiveness. And Peter says, says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So it's a question that probably is rooted in a relationship or circumstance. There's more going on here that leads him to ask this question. And then he asks this number seven times, so he's, referring to something in the Old Testament. He's drawing from Scripture, saying, what is this whole forgiveness thing all about? And and if I'm following the law and what the law tells me to do, am I doing it right? How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And Jesus responds. His response is, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Not just seven times, but 77 times. And if you kind of are reading into what's that's symbolic of, as Jesus says, is you just keep forgiving. Someone who sins against you, you just keep forgiving them. And then he tells this story, a parable, called the unmerciful servant. He tells this story, it probably gives Peter more than he was asking with this question. But as he tells this story, the merciful service goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all uh, that they had be sold to repay the debt. So this guy's in big trouble. He owes more than he could ever pay back. The servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The, ser- the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Not just took pity on him and was patient, gave him time to pay it back, or you know, did some sort of deal where he got some of it back. The master has patient on the, patience, has grace, has pity, and he forgives the whole thing. The story goes on to say, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed, as we are, as we hear these words, and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant. He called him in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours that you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I just had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Then the heavenly father This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So Peter's like, ask a simple question, and then you get that response. What Jesus does when he's talking about forgiveness with Peter, this man that he has spent time with, this man that he's teaching the ways of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, he takes forgiveness and he starts to connect something deeply rooted in his heart about how he has been forgiven and how he treats others because of it. Jesus makes this connection between forgiveness and forgiving others. This man was forgiven this great debt he could never repay, but he couldn't show forgiveness to someone else. And Jesus says there's a problem here. There's this connection. For those who follow Jesus Kind of our story is this, that God loves us so much that all the things that we get wrong in this life, he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him, and it's called the cross. And on the cross, he takes the punishment of all of our sin, all of our debts, and he forgives them. For us to be in relationship with God, it's this understanding that I had this debt that I could never repay. And in God's grace and mercy and justice, he forgives it. And now we live in a relationship with people who hurt us all the time. How then do we live as followers of Jesus? It's not easy. But there's something deeply connected between what God has done for us, us understanding God's forgiveness, and how we live with people every single day. Pretty heavy question, pretty heavy answer. Then as we know the story of Peter, as Jesus is arrested and is getting ready to go to the cross, the disciples kind of disperse. Everyone's in danger. wonder what you would do in that situation. Many of us would probably choose to figure out how to live, preserve our own lives. Peter's kind of hanging close to the situation, and Jesus says, at some point, you will deny me. At some point, this will get too dangerous, and you'll, you'll kind of try to get out of it. And Peter says, no way, I would never do that. I would never deny you. And then we have this story where Peter denies Christ. This girl sees him, says, weren't you with Jesus, the guy that had just been arrested? And he goes, no, that wasn't me. They recognize his accent. They say, you were with Jesus. He goes, no, it wasn't me. And he basically denies him, betrays him, turns his back on him, pretends like he doesn't know Jesus. Rooster crows. He remembers the word of Jesus takes off running, devastated, turns his back on Christ. Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus rises from the dead. As Jesus comes back from the dead, he has this interaction with Peter where he reinstates Peter. He forgives Peter. And they have this conversation, Jesus and Peter, and they're talking. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course I love you. He gives him a new calling. And he says it three times, the same three times that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus reinstates Peter, and what Peter starts to realize what is happening is that he's turned his back on Jesus, he's denied Jesus, and now Jesus has forgiven him. And he starts to talk about a future with Peter, and what Peter's life is going to look like. Peter betrays, denies, turns his back, and Jesus reconciles with him. Peter experiences this forgiveness that Jesus was talking about in this question. When a lot of us would probably be bitter. A lot of us would probably say, you had your chance. You didn't defend me. You didn't come to my aid. You denied even knowing me. I thought we were in this together. Where were you? I wasn't around how you talked about me, how you pretended like you didn't know me. Jesus forgives Peter. He experiences the forgiveness of God in a tangible way here. Peter was one who had been with Jesus. So later on in Peter's life, when he looks like Tyler Ells in the photo, when he looks like an old man, he starts to write to the church, groups of people, And he writes specifically to families and close friends. And he has a word about forgiveness. And when we understand Peter's story, this fisherman, probably not trained in psychology, probably not trained in marital counseling, but he has this credibility because he's been with Jesus and he has experienced firsthand the power of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. And he says these words to a church in First Peter 3 and 9. He says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Remember, he's talking to families. He's talking to people who are doing life together in close community. And he says, do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil with a blessing. What in the world does that look like? What in the world does that mean? that you would inherit a blessing. What Peter is talking about here is this way of Jesus. It is radical. It is counter-cultural, It is counterintuitive. Because when people hurt us and when those closest to us hurt us and when people in our family hurt us, our initial response is payback, whether it's through something physical or it's through something Passive. We go into protection mode. And here Peter is saying, Repay evil with a blessing. This is a man who has been with Jesus. There's credibility to these words where he's saying, There's a better way to live life in relationships. Doesn't mean it's easy. But there's a blessing that comes with it. Forgiveness Something that is, I think, what, is what makes us so unique as followers of Jesus and is probably something that we have to work the hardest at, forgiving. Just finished my time at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, kind of this long-term goal, wanted to get it done, got it done last year. My dad's happy. But it was just a great experience. One of the things that they had us do was to start to define terms that were uh, important kind of characteristics of God in the church. Forgiveness is one of them. And this is a way that my school would define it. And it was helpful for me. What is forgiveness? The practice of attending to others by pursuing God's help with releasing anger and bitterness. Let me say that again. The practice of attending to others by pursuing God's help with releasing anger and bitterness, choosing to seek God's restoration rather than seek retribution, and offering one another to God when we hurt each other. I love that definition. This is something that you practice. It's like when you go to the doctor and you don't necessarily get the answer that you want, or they don't know, and they're looking at something they're like That's why we call it a practice. It's not perfected. Forgiveness is something that is practiced. It's something that we work at. And it's something that we go to God with. What is Forgiveness. The practice of attending to others by pursuing God's help with releasing anger and bitterness. Choosing to seek God's restoration rather than seek retribution and offering one another to God when we hurt each other. Forgiveness also is an acknowledgement. What I have found is that forgiveness is an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. When we forgive, we're acknowledging there is wrong. There's something healthy and powerful about this as well. To forgive someone is to know that what happened wasn't right. So this is different than just, I'm non-confrontational, I'm just going to let it go. Or I'm, you know, I, I don't want to make a big deal, or I'm just going to let someone walk over me. The actual act of forgiveness takes courage because it, it creates that confrontational moment where you acknowledge that something wrong has happened. There's been a debt that is owed. In a relationship. And forgiveness starts with acknowledgement of that. I think, in the same way, in our relationship with God, when we come to peace with God, is when we're able to acknowledge our own faults. We finally get to this place where God can work in our life. And I think the same thing happens in relationships when we're able to name it, acknowledge it. This isn't right. And maybe the wrongdoer doesn't realize it. Maybe they do. But forgiveness starts with acknowledgement of a debt. And then forgiveness, forgiveness is a release. It's a release. And the way that I would kind of understand this is if, just like the story that Jesus tells, if there's this debt that is owed, that debt is forgiven, that debt is released, it's given up. To hold on to that debt can be dangerous. I've told this story before about th- forgiveness, and uh, i like to tell it again because one of the most powerful things I ever heard about forgiveness happened when I was a young pastor working at one of our sister churches in town. Uh, there was a, a woman that came in to meet with the pastors, and a couple of us met with her. She started to tell us her story, her upbringing, some of the things that happened in an early marriage It was story after story, just as we heard it, we thought, how in the world have you survived some of this? And we started to talk, she's like, I want you to understand kind of what has happened to me, where I've come from, and finally we got to this place where you seem so great now, like you seem like you're okay, you're living life, you've created this new life and it's beautiful, your family's beautiful, like what in the world? She said, I came to a place where I had to forgive, and forgiveness works, And she talks about how this person that had hurt her, this person who had done wrong, she started to describe how she would entrap that person in her soul. And she had said, what I had realized is that I had like this castle inside of my soul. And in the castle was a dungeon. And that's where I would trap the people that hurt me, in this dungeon. I would punish them there. I would keep them there. That's where they were in prison in my soul. She said, I came to this realization that when you put someone in jail, when you keep them there to punish them, whether it's a life sentence, you have to continue to feed that person. And that means you're putting resources towards it. She said, I came to this realization that I didn't want to feed this anymore. So she said, I released them from the dungeon of my soul. Forgiveness is a release. There's something freeing about it when we're able to acknowledge it, understand the pain that it's caused and understand that there's a debt that's owed and to finally say, I am releasing this. I am no longer feeding this. I love what Anne Lamott says about unforgiveness. She says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. I don't know if she was the first to say that, but I've heard her say that. And it's unforgiveness. It creates this bitterness. It creates this This cycle of us continuing to to feed and to punish, and yet at the same time we find that we're the ones continually being wounded by it. So it's an acknowledgement, but then there's also this release that happens. Forgiveness is trusting. It's an act of trust as well. Forgiveness doesn't just happen between a wrongdoer and the person who's been wronged. I've come to understand that forgiveness happens in a triangle. The third point of the triangle is God. We talked about this last week when we're willing to forgive and let go and give up our right for vengeance. What we're doing is we're believing and having faith in divine retribution. That God is the one that will make these things right. That God sees the wrong. And I don't know how forgiveness can really happen without God entering into the relationship between the parties that are hurt. We trust that God, the way that he has forgiven us, allows us to forgive each other. Forgiveness happens in a triangle, and it requires trust that God will do a work in our lives. It's the only way sometimes it could be possible. There's some things that have happened in this life that I don't know how you forgive, but with God. There's resurrection, there's restoration, there's redemption. Also, forgiveness forgiveness is a hoping. It's a hoping for something. A hoping for things to be made right. Ernest Hemingway tells this old story about that takes place in Madrid. Ernest Hemingway talks about how in Madrid the name Paco is very common. Maybe like the name John uh, here named Sophia for a young girl. We named our daughter Sophia and it turns out everyone in our class is named Sophia. But the name Paco was extremely common. And there's this old kind of story, it might be myth, that happens in Madrid that there's this father that has a son named Paco and he's an estranged son. Something's happened, he wants to reconcile with his son. He doesn't know how to get a hold of the son. The son has run away from home. So he decides to go to the local, and he puts an ad in the newspaper. And it says, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña, noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. And he hopes maybe Paco will read the newspaper and meet him there. So he runs the ad in the newspaper, goes to Hotel Montaña, waits for him on a Tuesday, noon. And 800 young men named Paco show up. Everyone's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Some of these young men hoping forgiveness for their family. Hoping for reconciliation. He's not even sure if his son would show up. And I think what happens so often in when our relationships, when they break down, we just assume that person doesn't want reconciliation. Forgiveness is hoping that things get made right and put back together. And finally, I'll end with this, is that forgiveness is a journey. What is it? It's a journey. It's a practice. It's a journey. This isn't something that we just move through quickly, and we flip a switch, and all of a sudden, things are made right. I'm not very old. I'm 36. I'm getting a little bit older. What I've found about forgiveness is things that I thought I had dealt with a long time ago, something will trigger it. I call them tripwires brings it back to the surface and all of a sudden I realize like my response is super bitter, super toxic, super negative. I'm like, oh, I probably still need to deal with that. I thought I dealt with that. Goodness, that, that just, it hit me the wrong way. It reminded me of something. I thought in my heart I'd forgiven them, but I'm realizing that it's a practice. It's a practice. There's a story of an old Franciscan monk named Father Markovic, that lived through uh, some of the, the, the terrible civil wars that happened kind of over in the Balkan states uh, between Croats and the Serbs and Christians and Muslims. And it was just kind of a mess. And this Franciscan's house uh, got kind of taken over uh, by one of, the, <laughs> kind of the, warring, the people they're warring against. Franciscan's as Christian. Finds out that uh, the people that have kind of moved into this town are Muslims. People that uh, have moved in after the war haven't left. And he has this house that was his family's house for generations. And as everything kind of settles and there's this kind of uh, kind of a little bit of a peace, he goes back into the town and he wants to find out what's happened to his house. Goes in, finds out there's a woman living there. It's this Muslim woman. And he's like, this is rightfully my house, but everything's been lost. And I don't know if I'll ever get it back, but... It'd be great to at least go back and see if I can get it. Finds out that she's squatting the house and she doesn't want to give it up. Kind of goes through back channels trying to figure out how to get this house back and then decides finally that he needs to go and meet with this woman. So shows up. She meets him outside, a cigarette in her mouth and a gun in her hand. She said, I knew you were coming. This is my property now. What do you want? And he looked at her and he said... I would like for you to make me a cup of coffee. They caught her off guard. She said, Okay, come on in. I'll make a cup of coffee. Goes in, makes them both a cup of coffee, and they sit down. And for hours, they just start talking, talking about what happened with the war, and finds out that her son lost his life in, this, in battle. And we're talking about how this was his house. And she said, it's my house now. My son paid, paid the price for it. He gave his life that I could have a place to live. Starts to understand the situation. They continue to talk through it. Conversation goes on for a while. Leaves there, civil conversation. And she says, would you be willing to come back again and have coffee with me? He says, sure. Goes, comes back another time. She says, when you come back, whatever happened in our last conversation, and seeing you come back this time, it reminded me of my son coming home from battle. This Franciscan talks about the conversations they would have, and he says, initially we never talked about forgiveness. We just practiced hospitality. And as that hospitality took place, we started to repair a relationship where there was great hatred towards each other. And now there's reconciliation. It wasn't easy. It didn't happen right away. I didn't get what I wanted right away. But because of this basic hospitality, this journey started towards reconciliation. I love that story because I think that's how forgiveness works. It might start with a cup of coffee, with an act of hospitality. You may not be able to get to the bottom of the situation right away, but you can start a process of reconciliation. And then you stay at it, and you go down this journey for forgiveness. Forgiveness is an acknowledgement, it's a release, it's trusting, it's hoping, it's a journey. And Peter says, this is the blessing. We start to live life, and as God has forgiven us, we are empowered to forgive others. There's nothing easy about it, but there's blessing for it. So we live life with others. We're getting ready for the holiday season. We've got Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas coming up. It's an exciting time. A big football games coming up on the Saturday. It's also a time where we can approach with great anxiety. Because we live in brokenness. Our families are broken, our friends are broken. And as we approach this holiday season, that can create all sorts of anxiety as we realize we're going into situations where there's tripwires, where there's things that could just blow up. My encouragement today is, in the words of Peter, you forgive evil with a blessing. There's a way of life that we can live that's not easy, but is good. And as we approach this holiday, maybe there's people in your heart that you know I need to start this journey with. Maybe I've been journeying in forgiveness. Today, we invite you to come before God with that and say, Lord, this has to be a triangle. Move in this relationship, allow me to release things that I need to release. Give me hope. Bring healing here. Each week we end our time with communion. It's a sacred moment that represents divine forgiveness. Also acknowledgement of divine retribution that God will make all things right someday. We take a piece of bread that represents his body that was punished on the cross for wrongs. We take a cup of juice that represents blood that cleanses and washes away the dirt. We remember God's forgiveness for us, this master who has forgiven us unpayable debts. Today we come, receive that forgiveness and the reminder of that forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, with your grace, may we be people who forgive as well. Tim's gonna come back up here and close us with a time Maybe before you move to communion, you need to allow God to stir your heart, to shake things loose in your soul. Maybe there's people he's placed on your mind that you need to just bring before him today. It's not easy, and it doesn't happen quickly. But with God's grace, there's blessing in our relationships. Let's move to communion today. If you like prayer, my encouragement is this triangle of forgiveness, inviting God in. If you just want someone to pray with you, we have some people that would love to pray with you. They'll be kind of in the back, behind the curtain, out of the way. If you'd like someone to just pray for grace, for patience, for wisdom, for something miraculous to happen, we'd love to pray with you today. And then when you're ready, take communion, and then we'll have Tim close us out today with a benediction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for loving us. Not just that you love us, Lord, but that you forgive us. Lord, we need forgiveness. We need grace to forgive. As we think of your story with Peter, your your close friend, this disciple who denies you and how you engage him. You acknowledge what happens and yet you release him from that. You you create a future. How life-changing that was for Peter. His words to us about the way forgiveness works. May they be authoritative in our life, Lord. May they influence who we are. those closest relationships, Lord, that we wouldn't repay back evil with evil in the different forms that that takes, but that we would repay evil with a blessing. That we would be a people of blessing. Lord, may your grace fill our hearts today. May you bring healing to things that are hurt, that are wounded, that are grinding away at our soul. Mm -hmm. May you give us courage to acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged and to uh, start this journey with other people. May you bring about the peace that passes understanding today. Meet us here, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.